We are going to be in John chapter 4 today. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to find that. If not, you can listen along when I read, but we'll get to that in a moment. You can begin finding that now. Today I want to talk about the harvest. You know, one of the things I love about the San Joaquin Valley is that we're almost always surrounded by something growing, some fruit or, or produce that's, that's ready to be harvested. Right now you can see all those citrus trees just a load. That's just beautiful. I just love it. Um, you know, strawberries are coming soon. Hardly wait for that, right? They've got all the stone fruit and the nuts and all those different things that are happening all the time. I, it's just one of the great things. We have no idea how fortunate, how blessed we are to, to have all that around us. Now, I personally do not think I could handle the stress of farming because there's too many variables, so many things you cannot control, weather, uh, crop prices, uh, labor shortages, uh, you know, just, just things, maybe your equipment has to be repaired, all the time. just on and on. I, I, I don't think I could do it, but here's the thing I do know about farmers is that every farmer holds on through whatever they're going through and whatever season they're in for one bottom line reason, and that's the crop, the harvest that they know is, is to come. And whether it's planting trees that are going to take several years to, to produce a crop or, or veggies that just a matter of weeks or months you've, you've produced a little bit of cash, uh, all that work of planting and irrigating and cultivating and spraying and, and everything else that goes into that, it's all for the purpose of the harvest. And the Bible uses ag language generously. You, you, you know that already, I'm sure. Including this notion of harvesting, planting and harvesting. Or, or um, maybe older language would be sowing and reaping. And it reinforces a very basic principle of life, that what you plant is what you harvest. So, if you plant kindness and generosity and love, guess what you harvest? Kindness, generosity, blessing. Right? If you plant unforgiveness and bitterness and, and revenge and resentment, guess what? You harvest all the dark stuff that comes with that. Bitterness and anger and revenge. Even, even physically, in, in, in our bodies, right? If you, if you plant good, healthy lifestyle, you'll harvest generally good, healthy lifestyle. If you plant lots of junk food, you'll harvest you know, hypertension and diabetes and all those Good things. I know there's not always a perfect correlation, but in general, you harvest what you plant. Jesus talked about it. The Apostle Paul talked about it. And I hope, just on a kind of an aside, I hope you're thinking about 2018. I'm like, what do I want to harvest in 2018? Like, what do I, what do I want to be plucking off the tree at the end of this year? In terms of your spiritual life, in terms of your financial life, in terms of your 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 physical life, in terms of your relationships. What do I want to be harvesting a year from now? Because you're only going to harvest what you plant. So start planting. Now, not only does a a farmer only harvest what he or she plants, the farmer only plants for the purpose of harvest. Right? Now, I know there's some exceptions. There's field maintenance and, and things that you do into the ground that aren't for the purpose of a crop. But generally speaking, you only, you're, they're only planting for the purpose of harvest. And when it comes to the activity of the life of faith you know we talk about planting and harvesting as well now here's something 
I've said many times, and you may have said this, and you'll often hear Christians say this, say, well, I'm, I'm just planting seeds. I'm just, I'm just planting the seed. Well, what they mean is they're making efforts to, to begin a gospel influence in someone's life. And that's essential because there's no crop if there's no seed. You, get, you can't harvest if you never plant. But I have noticed that many of us, at least I can speak of myself, have been maybe afraid to say, I'm harvesting. I'm harvesting. That we find comfort in planting, spiritual planting, but what about the spiritual harvest? Um, maybe I should define what harvest is. Spiritual harvest is, of course, primarily the, the gathering of souls into the kingdom of God, seeing people come to tr- trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior by God's grace, receiving new life in Him. So they're people entering the kingdom of God. But put in less religious language, taken from our mission statement, we say it's leading those apart from God to be fully alive by finding their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Helping, helping those or leading those who are currently apart from God to find their way into the grace and truth of Jesus Christ and in so doing become fully alive like it says behind me. Harvest, though, also includes things like helping someone discover and use their spiritual gifts or, or discover and, and walk into their calling, spiritually speaking. Or, 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 or seeing lives transformed so that marriages are restored, so that the grieving are comforted, so that the needy are getting helped. Now, maybe we don't want to be presumptuous. Maybe we're masking our frustration that, you know, the results are a little disappointing in our lives. Maybe, maybe we just don't know how to harvest. But I think we're often afraid to talk about the harvest. But why plant if we don't expect and intend and plan to be active and intentional harvesters. Because every farmer knows this. If you're taking notes this morning, it's in your program. You can follow along and fill these blanks in. Every farmer knows that we only plant to harvest. We only plant to harvest. Don't plant if you're not planning to harvest something. Only plant to harvest. Now, it's not that you're going to harvest exactly what you plant. I, I can enjoy fruit off a tree that someone else put on the ground. Now, sometimes that's legitimate. I don't know if I've ever told you the story the first time I, I, I saw a pomegranate tree. Have I ever told you the story? I was uh, probably 19, 18, something like that. And I had come with uh, some family friends to Concord, California from Canada to be part of a week- weekend ministry in a church. And as we're driving back to uh, Canada and a Toyota LE van. I don't remember that van, the ugliest little van. Anyway, we're driving back. They had some friends in Marin County. We stayed in Marin. And I was, you know, a young guy, went out walking. I'm like, wow, I'm in California. You need to understand, for everybody not from California, like that whole, anything in California is like the promised land. And, so much, and then I spotted, and I had seen a pomegranate before and had even eaten a pomegranate before, but it's extremely rare. And I remember walking and seeing us pomegranate tree i knew what it was but it was on the other side of a fence but the fence was easily you know easy to get over i'm like 
what's one pomegranate? So I went, I jumped over the fence and I harvested that pomegranate. I think if you're taking someone else's, it's not harvesting, it's called stealing. But anyway, <laughs> I harvested that pomegranate and, it, you know, just ready and they're cracking open already. And I cracked it open and I, oh, it just, I was like heavenly. And I ate this pomegranate. I was feeling so proud of myself and so discreet as well until I got back and said hi to people and went, went to the restroom and saw there was pomegranate juice everywhere. Like, oh, so busted. Um, be careful what you steal. Your sins will surely find you out. But really, um, you harvest what you plant. And if you're not going to harvest, then don't plant. I want to take you to a story that's familiar to most Bible readers where, where Jesus breaks the rules of society, the rules of even religion and culture and, and everything that was common to them in order to both plant and set up a harvest. And so that's in John chapter 4. I'd like you to find that if you've got your Bible. And, um, and we're going to read and summarize. It's kind of a long passage, but I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I read from the New Living Translation. John is in the New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament, fourth of four Gospels. Tells the story of Jesus life and ministry. It begins like this, John 4, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did, which is kind of interesting. Do you, do you have an understanding how like infant they were in their faith and yet they're already baptizing? It's a pretty remarkable thing. So Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee. Okay, important detail there. He had to go through Samaria on the way. We'll come back to that. And eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the village, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. And soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. And why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Well, let me summarize a little bit from there. So they have this, this discussion back and forth, which really turns into a theological discussion. The woman is somewhat, I would say, confrontational with Jesus. She, she does not want to kind of open up personally. She doesn't want to really kind of get into it. And she wants to be proved right. She understands there's this big divide between faithful Jews and the Samaritans who were sort of a mixed racially mixed Jew and, and other races together. And, and so she understands this is kind of a weird setup. And she's trying to show her spiritual pedigree that she knows that she's talking about. And Jesus, Jesus keeps coming lovingly, touching into her life without taking the bait. Doesn't get into an argument with her. Doesn't, doesn't go there at all with her. And then find facts that find, finds out that she's, she's a troubled woman. She's been married five times, but she's, she's living with a, a man that's not her, her husband currently. And it's just, Jesus just keeps speaking into her life lovingly and compassionately. Talking about spiritual things, but also just a personal touch. 
Let me take it to verse 25. We'll pick it up at verse 25. It says, The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's trying to get out of the conversation nicely. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then his uh, disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? And why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. And meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciple asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. And others had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. Let's be seated together. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. Let me show you a map here just to kind of give you context. So this is that circ- that green circle is getting the area of Samaria. Much of that is what's disputed or currently under um, Palestinian Authority or part of what they call West Bank anyway, but that's uh, that red, well here it's pink, um, line up the middle uh, is is the direct road uh, from Jerusalem to Galilee. And so it says they were in Judea and they wanted to go north to Galilee and it says they had to go. But the problem is they didn't have to go that way straight through. Typically, Jews would take one of the two road routes around the, the blue dotted lines either out the, the Maritime Road or up along the Jordan River Road. And uh, they would avoid Samaria. They didn't want to be anything to do with Samaritans. They didn't want to get in contact with them. They didn't trust them. They didn't feel safe. They didn't want to be there. Uh, you know, for, for, they just didn't go there. And yet Jesus deliberately, it seems, went through Samaria with his disciples. Jesus didn't do anything by accident. He didn't. He didn't happen to do things. There was purpose and intention in every step that he took. And this is a story about harvest. This whole passage about this woman and, and the encounters here. But where did that harvest start? The harvest started the moment that Jesus said to his disciples, Guys, we're going to go a different way this time. We're going to go right through Samaria. Jesus, I don't... <laughs> I'd rather not, Jesus. I know. But that's where we're going to go. The moment Jesus said, let's not take the predictable, comfortable way, that's the moment the harvest started. The moment he was willing to lead them out of their comfort zone. And it continued the moment Jesus put himself in this position to talk to this Samaritan woman, which was, he's, he's a Jew, he's talking to a Samaritan, he's a rabbi, talking to a woman. It's not really supposed to happen. And not only that, he doesn't say, woman, get me a drink, I'm thirsty. Because it says Jesus was thirsty. He doesn't demand it of her, right? Nor does he begin by saying, well, you look pretty needy. I'll give you a drink. He just simply said, I need some help here. Imagine that. Jesus, the Messiah, asking for help from a lowly, disregarded person. 
That's where the harvest started. She, she was surprised, it says in verse 9, that Jesus would speak to her. Why do you speak to me, a Jew, speaking to a Samaritan woman? Jesus didn't mind crossing that barrier, did he? Jesus was kind. He's respectful in his language. Even though she continued to be a little belligerent with him, a little confrontational, but he just continued to be kind, didn't take the bait, just took it easy. And his conversation was not only a surprise to her, but also to the disciples. They, they, they were shocked at this. And yet what Jesus planted into her life produced a harvest of many of those Samaritan people of the village of Sychar coming to him for salvation. In fact, it says at the end of the passage that they went and stayed in that village for some days so they can continue to preach the gospel. I just love that because it's one of those moments you could just you just know those disciples were uncomfortable the whole time. Like, man, I cannot believe Jesus has us here in Sikar of all places. I can't believe it. Yep. Believe it. Right? Jesus even said elsewhere, I think it's in Matthew 16, he says, I didn't come for people of other, I just came for the children of Israel. And here Jesus violates his very own protocol to plant and to harvest. Because there was an opportunity there. Why? Well, there are three things I want to say about the harvest. The first is this, that the harvest will have no favorites. The harvest will have no favorites. See, if the good news of salvation and new life in Jesus is not for everyone, then it's not good news. If good news only applies to certain segments of people, then it's really not good news, is it? If I can't be respectful and kind and at ease with people who are not like me, right, might be the... Lately, since January 1st, I've noticed one of my neighbors, I don't know which one yet, has found the liberty to indulge in this new product that's legal. Right. Or the grocery store customer that you bump into who wears a hijab. Or the tattooed granddaughter. Or whatever category it is that you feel like you would rather avoid if if, if I can't be kind and respectful and engaging with people like that, then I have not embraced the gospel. The harvest includes those we might avoid. I, I was working at Starbucks one day this week and working on this, actually. And there was a guy at the next table across from me. I, I, you know, Thursday mornings, men, Thursday mornings at 6 o'clock, I'm at Starbucks for an hour. Bring your R&R journal and the Bible and we'll do our devotions together. That's a kind of a standing thing. This one right here, here at Cedar and Champlain. But afterwards, I was, there was this guy there, and he clearly had some social challenges in life. Uh, uh, he might have been out all night, or maybe he was homeless. I, I really kind of figure all that out, but he was a misfit in the Starbucks crowd, let's be honest. And he was into whatever he was listening to on his earbuds, and he was laughing, and just... You know, people were avoiding him, not going anywhere near him at all. And I thought, is the gospel for him too? Does the gospel include that guy? Is it only up to someone else to reach that guy? People who like, who like working with people like that? I don't know. If we're going to harvest, it's going to mean crossing lines of comfort. 
Jesus, I did try talking to him, by the way, I didn't get very far, but Jesus does not prefer to save the rich. He does not prefer to save the poor. Jesus does not prefer white or black or drug-free or addicted because we are all in need of a Savior. Jesus died for everyone and every believer is sent out to be a part of the harvest of salvation. The harvest has no favorites. Second thing I want to say about this, that the harvest, and this will be obvious, the harvest will be in the field. The harvest will be in the field. Look, until someone gathers the crop from the field or the orchard or the vineyard or whatever it is, it, it, it's, it's out there until someone brings it in. I want you to look at verse 35 with me. This is actually 35, the second half of verse 35. Is that on the next slide there, Johnny? Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. Look, the grain isn't in the barn. It doesn't gather itself. The, the final word of instruction that Jesus left with his disciples was not, hey, stay inside and everyone will come your way. It was go into all the world and not and go in all the world and plant seeds. He said, go in all the world and what? Make disciples of every ethnic group, every nation, every kind of people. Look what it says there in verse 38. We've got this one on the screen as well. I sent you to what? Say it. Harvest. Where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will get to gather, say it, the harvest. New International Version. Um, oh, we'll come back to that later. But this is Jesus sent them to harvest. There was, a, there was, there was expectation they're going to bring something back. You know, I've mentioned before that I grew up in a small raspberry farm, and I may also have mentioned that I failed to appreciate the benefits of that upbringing at various times in my life. I did not enjoy berry picking, amongst the other things. I want to show you a couple of pictures. I pulled these off Facebook this week. This is taken somewhere in my home city, and I'm telling you, that's exactly what it looked like when I was a kid. It has not changed in that regard. You, you went out... Can you go to the other one as well? So this... This could easily have been taken in 1975 when I was seven years old. You, you take a string and you put a bucket on it and you fill the bucket with berries and then you dump the bucket into the, into the what we call a flat. And you, however many flats you make that day, they keep track. And at the end of the summer, you get paid. That's how it works. Okay, so the benefit of berry picking was that it, it had a payoff. It bought stuff. I, I bought my first 10-speed bike when I was 11 years old. Do you remember? Some of you are old enough to remember. That was the thing to get a 10-speed bike with a curled handlebars. It was so awesome. And um, if you, something I'll show you. I have a big scar on here from when I, first weekend I had my 10-speed bike and I crashed. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I went to a, private school for junior high and and the deal with my parents was we paid half our own tuition so i earned enough to pay my tuition and and i i like buying records and so i bought records vinyl records right but it was not easy being in that raspberry picking field we we picked in hot weather we picked in rain we we raspberry bushes i don't know if you know this they're prickly right and so your hands and your arms get all scratched up that's why she's wearing long sleeves on a hot summer day 
because it's like, it's not comfortable. Later on, I worked on harvesting machines, which honestly were kind of dangerous. They were crazy machines. We would work 12, 16-hour days getting in the crop. It was, it was nuts. But the harvest won't gather itself. And look, spiritually speaking, churches that have, have learned to listen to the call of Jesus and have, have said, we're going to go into the fields, we're going to pay the price, we're going to make the investment, we're going to do whatever it takes to go to go where people are, rather than waiting for the fields to gather themselves in. Those are the churches that, that grow. Those are the churches that are reaching people with the gospel. There's an amazing ministry in Los Angeles called the Dream Center. I don't know, anybody been to the Dream Center in L.A.? A handful of us went um, last year for a conference there. It was just a powerful experience. It's an old county hospital. But the Dream Center, and they, you know, they house, um, you know, homeless families transitioning to, to not being homeless. They work with, with uh, homeless veterans. They work with mental health issues. They work in the uh, recovering folks who've been in the, uh, trafficked into the sex trade and so on. They, they do um, just a whole variety of things. Foster kids who are coming out of the system, they help them. But it's run by a church called Dream Center Church. Dream Center Church was planted by a guy named Matthew Barnett, who as a young, young guy, 20 or 21 years old, felt called to plant this church, or maybe he was taking over a little work there. But in that area near Echo Park in L.A., and he, he, he was trying so hard and nothing was getting off the ground. It wasn't working. And he was just crying out to the Lord for help. And he felt like the Lord said to him, if you'll... If you'll go to the ones that no one wants, I'll give you the ones everyone wants. And so they did. They just pivoted and started caring for the just people that had the greatest needs. Homeless, addicted, uh, you name it. They were just there on the streets. And little by little, God grew that ministry. There's thousands of people there, including celebrities and people of great means who keep this incredible work going. But it started by a church being willing to say, we're going to go to where the harvest needs to be gathered in. And when you left your house this morning, you probably said something like, well, let's go to church or I'm going to church. And and it's true. When you came up, there's a sign out in front of the building. It says Bethany Church. It's a sign on the street. It says Bethany Church on the roundabout. Bethany Church. There's signs all over the place. But this building is not the church. You know that. We, we could meet in a school. We could meet in a barn. We could meet under a tree, as some believers do around the world this morning. This building isn't the church. This building's a fabulous tool for ministry, but it's not the church. You came to the gathering of God's people. That's the church, and that can be anywhere. God lives not in this building. God lives in every person who has their, put their faith in Jesus Christ. So whether you're gathered this morning or whether you're scattered throughout the city, you are the church. You're it. You're the ones that Jesus sent out. And so wherever you are, you are already in a harvest field. And we need to ask the Lord to direct us to the, to the people and to the situations that are ripe and ready for harvest, whether that's helping someone find their calling, whether that's someone who needs comfort, whether that's being ready to lead someone to faith in Christ. Your life, honestly, your life is already constantly planting seeds of the good news. But I'm saying, ask the Lord of the harvest to make you a harvester as well, so that you can see the fruit of the seeds that you're planting in others, 
or that others have planted, as Jesus said. Someone else plants and you get to harvest. I'm going to take you back to verse 36, John chapter 4. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? Another translation, NIV, puts it this way. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. Now, I may have complained about working out in that raspberry field as a kid, but I didn't, like I said, I didn't mind the paycheck at the end of the season. There is a reward. And Jesus is saying the harvest will be fulfilling. So to say, Lord, make me a harvester, I'll admit, that's a risky prayer. It's going to take you into situations and conversations that are, that are uncomfortable. It's going to cost you an investment of time and of money. And Jesus told his, his disciples to use your earthly resources to make friends for eternity so that when you're all done, when you're all out, you'll be welcomed home to a great reward. The harvest will be fulfilling. But listen, it may be risky to be a harvester, but the alternative is pretty bland. It's uninspiring, isn't it? To you and to others to just plod along and never get our hands into the harvest. Never engage in a spiritual way with people. I, I, I want to speak just for a moment to you who have been at Bethany for a long time. Those of you who have been here just a matter of a few years, just forgive me for a moment. I want to say to you who have been here for a long time, you were part of some exciting times at Olive Avenue. You were part of the thrill of getting Butler Church started and North Fresno Church and Mountain View. Those churches have been harvesting as well. And then you, or maybe your parents, if you're younger, sacrificially gave and sweated to put this building here in the middle of nowhere at the time. I've seen the pictures. You gave sacrificially then, you still do. And I'm sure you did not do all that so we could just have a camp of nice Christians here in North Fresno. You did it because you believed the Lord was leading you here, was calling you to bring the gospel to people who did not yet know Jesus. You wanted to harvest. That's why you came here and you still do. You still do. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not done with Bethany Church. Even though we have maybe yet to see some of the harvest that you'd hoped for and prayed for and expected to see. And to all of us, I would say the harvest will have its reward, but it will come at a price. To see people of all ages step out into the gifts and callings that God has for them, to, to see marriages healed, to see the grieving comforted, to see the hungry fed, most importantly, to see the lost get found by coming to faith in Christ. It's going to take hard work and significant investment. And, and it's personal. And it's personal. I, I am speaking to myself this morning as much as to you because it starts with me and it starts with you. I have to want to gather the harvest. And so do you. I want to make this personal for a moment with this question. A couple of questions on the screen. What could a spiritual harvest look like in your world? So you think about your own life, your family, your workplace, your neighborhood, your church, your home. You think about that. What would a spiritual harvest look like in your world, in those settings? The harvest doesn't gather itself 
but it's out there in the field. Jesus said it's ready. You can imagine this scene where Jesus is speaking to his disciples and there's these waves of, of Samaritans coming up to the well. He says, look, the harvest is ready. He sends us out and then we'll give him an account when Jesus returns. And this year, every Sunday, you're going to see a verse printed on the bulletin. It's John 4.35b. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. I, was, I prayed about this this last um, fall season. Lord, what, what's kind of the message for 2018? What's the, what's the word for our year? I felt like the, the, the Lord said the word is harvest. Harvest. But wake up and look around. The fields are ripe and ready for harvest. So that's our 2018 word, harvest. We want to be about it. My friend Boots, Ron, she lives at Palm Village and she heard about this. And so she wrote us a poem today. I want to read, read it for you. It's fantastic. Those of you who know Boots, is, she's creatively prolific. But here she goes. H stands for harvest, a year that's the best. R for revival, V, victory. E is for each person, salvation for the lost. Testimonies of new believers counting the cost. Thank you, Boots, if you're listening on the recording. My hope and my goal for 2018, including for you and for me, is that every person at Bethany, every one of us, would share our faith. Or, if, you're, if you've not yet come to that place of saying, I, I trust Jesus Christ, if you're still figuring this out, that you would share your faith or your faith journey with at least one other person in 2018. That's the challenge. Even just one other person. And I, I want to come back to this through the year, but it starts this simply. That someone in my life who is not already a believer needs to know that I am a believer or a seeker. That's it. That's my challenge for the first part of this year. You may not have anybody in your life who isn't already a believer or doesn't already go to this church. I'm just saying, okay, so your challenge is Someone needs to know, if I'm going to be part of a harvest, I, someone in my life needs to know that I'm a believer. Maybe you've never admitted to your neighbor why you disappear every Sunday morning. Right? Maybe you've never mentioned it at the water cooler at work. Uh, I, you, you know, you're probably thinking of a situation right now or a person. But that would be my challenge. Someone in my life who is not already a believer needs to know that I'm a believer or a seeker. No pressure. No awkward conversations, just a willingness to let it be known that you follow Christ or that you are considering doing so. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and and lead us in a closing song. I want to say this. I love that we plant seeds as a church, as believers. We plant lots of them. It's outstanding. And we could talk about different ministries where we are both seeing a harvest and where we are planting seeds. But we're going to keep that and we keep watering and of course only god makes it grow that's the principle that the apostle paul talks about one plants one waters god causes things to grow but someone's got to bring in the harvest if we're going to be faithful we need to be harvesters so it's out there it's in the field there's no favorites we've all been called to help gather it in you yourself may not even have put your faith in jesus christ yet and i'll just finish with this last thing it's not difficult But it's saying, Jesus, I trust that you are the Son of God, that you died for my sin, 
that you're alive today and you're willing to forgive me and make me a new person. When you come by faith to Jesus and say, Jesus, take me. I, give me a new life. Forgive me. I trust in you. He begins that work of making you a new person. You are part of the harvest. And then you also get to be a harvester of others.